Today we turn to the book of Judges, chapter 4, from which we hear God's word. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ahud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots filled with iron. Then Deborah said, to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Shall we pray? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear and receive your word today. May we receive it with joy and may we respond to it with humble service. Amen. You would have to thumb through a lot of children's Bible storybooks to find a story based on Judges chapter 4. I know, because I was searching most of the week for the time with the children that I shared earlier. That is not counting the Thanksgiving stuff. 
um, I discovered uh, that this is a story that resists simplifying and moralizing like children's books sometimes do. In fact, adult readers may have to dig pretty deep to find much of anything that's edifying or even practical in this scripture story. But I contend that Judges 4 shows us that God graciously intervenes in the lives of God's people and that God uses some fairly unlikely characters to accomplish his work in this world. In scripture, we find that our sovereign God is amazingly flexible about whom he calls or appoints to accomplish his will. The book of Judges introduces us to God's unlikely servants like Othniel, Ehud, who's named in our reading, Shamgar, and this Sunday, uh, the reading is from Deborah four, or Judges 4, and it's all about the woman Deborah, a woman also called a prophet. And it introduces us to another character named Barak, a fairly cowardly leader of the Israelite army. And finally, when we go beyond the scripture that I read to you, we will hear of yet another woman named Jael, a woman who is perhaps a Gentile. Judges 4 begins in a grim and familiar way. After the judge Ahud has died, we read, again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord once more responds by handing her over to an oppressor, to their enemies for 20 years. And again, Israel cries out to God for help. At this point, however, the author breaks the familiar pattern because God generally responds to the dis disobedience of his people and their cry for help by appointing another judge. As in Judges 3, verse 9, God raised up for Israel a, deliver de a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz. But Judges 4 has no such report. Uh, perhaps that's because the writer wants us to remember that it's God, not any of God's creatures, who ultimately will save God's people. And maybe Judges doesn't immediately introduce us to this newest judge, this newest liberator, because God uses not one, but several deliverers. The first one, however, is Deborah who speaks God's, God's word, as in verse 6, where she tells Barak, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. She also fulfills the traditional role of a judge who settles people's disputes. So God doesn't really have to raise up a deliverer here in chapter 4 because she's already in place, and her name's Deborah. That first unlikely servant of God introduces us to a second one, uh, in verses 6 and 7, where Deborah calls on Barak to lead an army in an assault on Sisera and Jabin's army, the famous Sisera, who was commander of the Canaanite army at that time, uh, lived during the period of the judges. I decided that today we would stop at verse 15 so that I would only read aloud the G-rated story 
and skip the R-rated story, but we're, we're going to get to it later since the children have gone downstairs. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up to that. Um, in any case, uh, why doesn't Barack, when, whose name means lightning, by the way, he doesn't seem very quick or very bright in the story, um, why doesn't he respond with more enthusiasm to God's command? Maybe he doesn't really trust Deborah to speak for God. And maybe he's afraid. Or, or maybe he thinks, given the, the resulting behavior, maybe he thinks that he couldn't really win this battle without Deborah at his side because God is so powerfully and amazingly present with Deborah wherever she goes. Whatever the case, Deborah warns Barak that his reluctance to do God's work is going to cost him. And it's mainly going to cost him the uh, renown or the honor of defeating Sisera and the Canaanite army. Instead, a woman will get that honor. This, thus, in, chapter, in this chapter that's jam-packed with surprises, a female victor is yet to be named, and that's the one that I said a moment ago. Her name is J.L., and we'll get to her story in just a moment. Even 900 iron chariots that Sisera used to oppress the Israelites for 20 years are no match for God's plan and purposes when they meet for battle. As a result, in a desperate attempt to save his own skin, Sisera abandons his chariot and flees the onrush of the Israelite army, and he seeks refuge. So he runs right into the arms of Heber, the Kenites family. Heber is part of a tribe that once had a close relationship with Israel. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was, in fact, a Kenite. I think Kenites, we must have some, some connection, you know, Ken, Mar, Kenites. Uh, I, I'm thinking there must be some historical connection there. But uh, Heber had moved to Canaan because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. So he's, in, in a sense, abandoned the Israelites, his, his heritage, his, his family history, in order to ally with the Canaanites. That makes Heber's wife, Jael, a likelier friend of Sisera, the Canaanite, than of Barak. So Sisera assumes he has every reason to trust Jael when we read past chapter or verse 15 and we push further into this chapter. Um, he accepts her offer of hospitality after, after he leaves his chariot, probably stuck in the mud, as most commentators would say, and he, he seeks refuge. And Jael uh, welcomes him in, uh, this cruel leader who was more like a tired, afraid little child at this point, and she gives him some milk to drink, and she tucks him in. It's literally, she tucks him in. That apparent tenderness is part of the reason why JL's next actions come as quite a shock. It's the R-rated part of the story, and instead of protecting Sisera, she takes a mallet and a tent peg, and she drives it through his temple, and he dies within her tent. 
That's the, that's the tough part of the story, the vi really violent part of the story. And Barack shows up a dollar, a, a day late, a dollar short, like usual, and uh, the, the deed has already been done, and the honor goes to a woman, the woman J.L., who takes the life of Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army. So how are we to relate this violent story to our lives? Well, maybe you've noticed in recent years the Disney company has begun telling the story of unlikely heroines. Not knights in shining armor, but Rapunzel rescuing herself from the tower. Or uh, Mulan, the valiant warrior. Or Moana stepping up to rescue her people. A Disney princess is no longer a damsel in distress waiting to be rescued or kissed by a Prince Charming. She is a leader like Deborah, forging her own path, often finding a companion along the way. While each of these Disney stories is unique, they find some resonance in JL's subversive feminine wiles and in the courageous leadership of Deborah in the story that we just read. It, it, it predates Disney, it predates Hans Christian Andersen, it predates the Brothers Grimm, all of those storytellers, by thousands of years. And there are really three underdogs in our story today. There is Israel herself, the nation, they are an underdog. There is Deborah, the judge and prophetess, and there is J.L., uh, some would say the victor or the heroine of the story. By their disobedience, God's people Israel had landed on the underside of power. And from that place, they call out to God for deliverance, which God brings to them from unlikely sources. And the two unlikely sources are two women, Deborah and J.L., uh, a judge gifted in wisdom, trustworthy, a leader among the people, and a servant of God is Deborah. And at times, the book of Judges, it seems, if you read the rest of the book, that women are only used uh, to serve as little more than collateral damage for the bad decisions and the sins of the men in the story. Uh, but not so here. Deborah is the second underdog. And the third is J.L. If Deborah's gender makes her a strange choice for accomplishing God's work, how much more than in these days would it have been for uh, the underdog J.L. coming to the fore and winning the battle? The whole setup for her part of the story, at least in the way I read it, feels like it was stolen from a Hollywood script. She invites him in her tent. She gives him a feeling of comfort. She woos him, and she puts him to sleep and murders him. <laughs> you see? Doesn't sound like Hollywood. One biblical writer, uh, one biblical commentator says, uh, her motives remain something of a mystery. All we know is that God used her for the purpose of defeating the enemy of Israel. We don't really know the whys and wherefores. Jael did get rid of the ruthless Canaanite commander Sisera, but the narrator of Judges does not let us forget 
who the true hero of the story is. In verse 23, we read, On that day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. God is the hero. God is the one who prevails over the enemy of Israel. Barak, Deborah, and Jael are somewhat underdogs, like the Disney heroines, but God is still the one who brought the victory. In the face of Israel's unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. Uh, the nation is a, a pretty big underdog. The nation of Israel is. And this is a violent story, but what, what can we take from it? What can we learn from it? Uh, I think one of the most basic lessons is that God hates oppression. Uh, God often intervenes by using people to take down unjust kings and nations. God is an enemy of people, of the enemy of the oppression of people anywhere, especially the weak and the vulnerable. Of course, the world in which we live today is also a very violent world. While the 21st century is, has perhaps witnessed fewer wars than preceding centuries, uh, I note that 23 years into the century, we're doing a pretty good job of catching up to the previous centuries. It's a violent world that we live in today, in our streets, in our schools, in our homes. And most people don't even know the book of Judges exists that tells us how God intervenes in the lives of God's people and how God chooses unlikely characters to accomplish his work and will. Judges 4 invites us to ask on which side of the, the conflict we would fall it's a strikingly germane story as the people of Israel today struggle with how to answer the unspeakable and barbaric uh, treatment that their people uh, received on October 7. How are we followers of the Prince of Peace to pray for and advocate for peace and justice in the Middle East? It's not simply a political question. It's a moral question as well. The story from Judges 4 challenges us to realign ourselves with God's will, to get behind God's good plan and purpose wherever, whenever uh, we need to participate. However, as we go about responding in this violent world, let us move humbly and prayerfully. All praise and thanks to God the Father be given, the Son and him who reigns with them in highest heaven. Amen. recording of this service can be found on YouTube or Facebook by searching for Kenmore Church.